Good morning, and welcome to the Jesuit Institute Hour on Radio Veritas. I'm Francis Correa, and welcome this morning to our opening session, our premiere, if you like. This morning I have with me Father Russell Pollitt of the Jesuit Institute. He's the director of the Institute, and we'll be talking a little bit today about what the work of the Institute is in the church and in society at large. We'll also be looking at what's going on in the church at the moment and hopefully giving you a sense of an Ignatian vision of some of the things that are happening and what might be going on behind the scenes. And finally, we'll spend a little bit of time talking again about some of the aspects of Ignatian spirituality and offering you a way into reflecting on your life in Christ. Good morning, Russell. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. And welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So, just to begin with, I was wanting to ask you, what do you think the mission of the Jesuit Institute is, and why is it important that we have a, an hour on Radio Veritas? I think the mission of the Jesuit Institute is to try and create dialogue to get people talking about faith, about society, about life. And we do that in many, many different ways. And I think using the media and uh, getting people to reflect on things is an important part uh, of the mission of the Institute. I also think it's important that we help people to think things through. So not just creating dialogue, but also think things through. So, for example, one of the things one often hears is um, people saying, how do I bridge my faith with my life? I live a very busy life. And sometimes we have this idea that we can only live a faith life if we're living in a monastery, whereas uh, there are many different ways of doing that. So also helping people to think things through. What, how are the ways that I can integrate my life of faith into my daily life. And I'm not just talking about with your family, but, you know, business. If I'm a businessman, how do I integrate my life of faith in the way that I choose to run my business, uh, for example? Then, of course, there's always things happening in the world and in the church, which I think are important, uh, are important to reflect on as well. Uh, you know, there are things happening in our country. What does our faith say to that? What position should be, we take? What might the church uh, be saying about certain things politically or socially, etc.? So it's a very important uh, space, I think, to be uh, talking about these things in an open uh, domain. And I think for the Jesuit Institute, as many places as we can create these conversations and have these so-called think tanks is important. Excellent. Well, in a spirit of dialogue and having think tanks, we'd like to invite you, if you want to, to SMS us on 41809 or to phone in 011-452-7115 and you can join the conversation with us. We're talking today about the Jesuit Institute. The Jesuit Institute Hour has just been launched on Radio Veritas and I'm talking with the director of the Jesuit Institute, Father Russell Pollitt. And we're just exploring some of these ideas that the Institute has about being a place of dialogue, being a place of encounter, but also being a place that makes sense of faith and life and tries to deal with the problems of the people may battle with in terms of a split spirituality. And I think that's one of the key things that the Institute talks about, isn't it, Russell? Yes, I think that's uh, very important. I mean, I think that was originally why the Institute was formed way back when it was formed. It was 10 years ago or so. But the Jesuits have been talking about this for a long time. We've been talking about what are the ways that we can help people uh, to think things through and to live um, a, a faith life that's integrated with life so that we're not living in a compartmentalized world. And the Institute seemed to be a good way to do this because I think another important aspect is not just simply talking, but also uh, being able to research, have viable data about stuff, look at current trends, 
you know, those kinds of things are all uh, very important. And so when we had to talk about a Jesuit work here in South Africa, when we were asked to have visible Jesuit work, we spoke about a school perhaps, we spoke about various different things, and eventually we settled on this idea of an institute for that reason. And I think the Jesuit Institute is also quite eclectic. I mean, we don't, we don't just do one thing. We're involved in adult formation, but we're also involved in some media work. We give retreats. And so there are many different platforms in which we are trying to meet people and help them uh, with their faith experience. So if I was just someone on the street and I wanted to engage with the Jesuit Institute, what ways would you suggest I did that? First of all, I think that, you know, if you went to our website, for example, jesuitinstitute.org.za, you would get a sense of the of the variety of things that the Institute is doing uh, on that website. Um, you know, we offer various programs. If you were interested in something around spirituality, there are a number of different programs that are running, you know, from teaching people how to pray to teaching them how to be spiritual directors. So uh, there, there's many different ways that, uh, that, that, you know, that you could decide, you know, for you that you'd like to be engaged. Um, you know, if you're looking for quiet space in your life, then maybe one of the retreats at the Jesuit Institute will be something that uh, interests you. If you are trying to uh, get church perspective and analysis on things, then uh, some of the media work we do or work in the media we do might be uh, interesting for you. So there are many different ways that people could find out and many different ways that people could engage with uh, the uh, the Institute. Um, like I say, I think the website is one a good way. I mean, listening to this program is another good way. Um, I think, uh, you know, looking at uh, uh, the various uh, different events that take place during the year is another way that you could say, okay, let me, let me find out a little bit more about uh, these people and what they do. So I noticed that coming up um, soon, we've got two big events. We've got a healing retreat, which I think speaks into the heart of a lot of people's experience in South Africa. We know we're quite a wounded country. And so there's a healing retreat coming up later in June. And there's also the Ignatian Day, which the Institute has run for many years, which is a kind of open day offering tastes of the various work that the Jesuit Institute does on the 30th of July. So those are two options for people wanting to connect in as well. Indeed. And then, of course, at the end of June as well, we start with Winter Living Theology, which is a, a kind of roadshow, so to speak, around the country where every year we invite an international speaker normally a theologian, who comes and presents on a topic. Last year, for example, we had Father Nicholas King, who's well-known to many people in this country because of his column in the Southern Cross, who spoke about what the scriptures say about unity and disunity in the church. And this year, Father John Baldovan, who is a professor of historical and liturgical theology from Boston College, his School of Theology and Ministry, is coming to talk about worship and social justice. He's going to give a series of lectures on how the whole uh, liturgy on a Sunday, from the way that the liturgical calendar is organized to art, to the setup of the church building, to what we say when we celebrate the sacraments, is all geared to us going to live our faith and to uh, seek justice. So that's another way, uh, another big event that's, that's coming up. And Father Baldwin's going to be lecturing in five cities around the country. So, um, yeah, there are, there are very many different uh, things that are happening, and hopefully they're little bits for everybody. Um, Winter Living Theology is meant to try and stretch us theologically. Sometimes I think that we live in a theological desert in this part of the world, and so it's very important that we get these kind of people in who are at the cutting edge, so to speak, of current theological trends and things that are happening and are able to come and to get us thinking and talking about uh, what's important. Thank you. We were also thinking in the Institute about the space for dialogue, the space for, for, for growing an awareness um, of others, 
And so I know that some of the work you've been doing over the past few years has been ecumenical. There's also been work in secular environments. So you've talked about spirituality but, and, and theology, but some of that engaging with people outside of the Catholic Church, I know happens with the Institute, that it's a, it's a place of encounter beyond the, the narrow confines of Catholicism. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Indeed. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, uh, you talk about ecumenical work, working with people who are from other Christian uh, denominations and even sometimes across the religious divide. So I think in a, in a world where it seems to me it's more and more important that we find common ways of working together for the common good, it's important that we, we keep our eyes not just on our own community, but we reach out to other communities as well. Um, so, for example, we've done work with uh, Anglicans, we've done work with Methodists in the Spiritual Directors Training Program. We have a number of, uh, of people from other Christian denominations who are coming on that program to learn how to be spiritual directors. Uh, you know, we we hopefully in the future going to be able to share some resources with them. Um, and those churches as well are pretty wide, from the Anglican Church right through to what one might call a more modern form of Christian community like uh, Mosaic. So I think uh, I think these are very important spaces to watch. I think uh, in a world where religion has become a point of conflict, so for example, uh, one talks about uh, what's happening in the Middle East between Islam uh, and Christianity, uh, although there's a lot of politics involved in that as well. It's not just simply about religion. I think being able to speak to people across religious divides and find common goals for the common good is going to be a very important uh, part of, uh, of uh, you know, being people of faith in the future. If one looks at what's happening in America, for example, at the moment, very often those politicians are preying on sort of religious sensitivities. Um, and, you know, they're using those for personal gain. So I think it's important that we speak into those sorts of spaces to say, you know, this is not what uh, it's about and this is not why or this is not how it should be done. Um, the Institute has also been engaged with leaders in various different contexts. So we have offered leadership workshops in corporate environments. We've offered leadership workshops for church leaders. We've offered leadership workshops for people involved in Catholic education. So trying to get people to reflect on what it means to be a leader today, trying to help them to form um, a strategy and a vision for what good leadership is, because we live in a time where it's quite clear that there is a, a real um, absence of, of good leadership. So in all those sorts of spaces, we're trying to reach out, we're trying to, to talk to people, we're trying to form, I think, a common a vision, a world perhaps that uh, can simply just be described as the kind of world that God would see, uh, that God would want and God would recognize in, in the way that we deal with others. So there's something about feeling empowered there to be active in the world which I think is characteristic of Jesuit spirituality, that sense of being called to be active, to, to being players in the world, and that that role of activity has meaning and purpose, that there's, there's a, a sense in which what you're doing is applying your spiritual beliefs in a concrete way. Exactly. I mean, if we, can't, if we cannot live our spiritual beliefs, then we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, spirituality is something that cannot just simply be between me and God. And sometimes we hear that. Oh, you know, I've heard even Catholics say that. Oh, you know, spirituality is about my relationship with God. We get it fundamentally wrong when we think it's simply just about my relationship with God. My relationship with God has got major implications for every other thing that I choose to do. 
for the way that I order my priorities, you know, the way that I choose to do things, the way I conduct myself in business, the way I conduct myself with my family. So I think it's very important to see that, you know, if I'm saying I'm a faith-centered person and I'm a God-centered person, this has implications. And these implications may sometimes turn my world upside down and mean that I am required to do things that maybe I thought I wouldn't be doing. Thanks, Russell. So you are listening to the Jesuit Institute Hour on Radio Veritas. I'm Francis Correa, and I'm talking this morning to Father Russell Pollitt, who is the director of the Institute. And you're on Radio Veritas. If you would be interested in joining in our conversation, the SMS line is 41809, or you can call us on 011-452-7115. We're going to take a short ad break now. Here are the seven spiritual works of mercy to counsel the doubtful, instruct the ignorant, admonish sinners. Comfort the afflicted, forgive offenses, bear patiently those who do us ill, pray for the living and the dead. Blessed are you who stand beside us as we enter new ventures, for our failures will be outweighed by the times we surprise ourselves and you. Blessed are those who forget my disability of the body and see the shape of my soul and strength of my mind. Blessed are those who love me just as I am without wondering what I might have been like. The Muscular Dystrophy Foundation. Your support means hope. You can contact us on www.mdsa.org.za or telephone number 011-472-9703 for further information. Finance is a very sensitive and at times a complicated topic. Hi, I'm Lesecha Madiba, your Radio Veritas resident financial coach from Consolidated Financial Planning. You can find us at consolidated.co.za. <laughs> Radio Veritas, Al-Akhbar Jayda, Littagheer. Ma'ashukur, Rabbi Ra'akum. You're on Radio Veritas, listening to the Jesuit Institute Hour with me, Francis Correa. And this morning in the studio, I'm talking to Father Russell Pollitt. We're going to be talking now a little bit about what's happening in the church at the moment. And so I thought I would ask Russell, what do you think are the key issues that are kind of in the news, hot topics at the moment in the church? Well, there are a number of different things. First of all, the Council of Cardinals, which is sort of the advisory group of nine cardinals from different parts of the world, have just finished meeting in Rome to talk about uh, reform. So we'll speak a little bit about that and, uh, um, you know, kind of helping Pope Francis to to set uh, the agenda for the church in the future. Also, interestingly enough, this week we heard the announcement of uh, consistory. Consistory is uh, where new cardinals are made, which uh, has been on the minds of many people because Francis didn't have one. And normally in February, we always expect a consistory. And nothing has been said about a consistory this year. 
And uh, all of a sudden they announced that on the 14th and 15th of February uh, next year, we're going to have a consistory where Pope Francis will appoint uh, new cardinals. There's been this very strange thing of Archbishop Ganswein, who is the prefect of the papal household, saying, well, Benedict didn't really step down as pope, although he resigned. Benedict is really part of the Petrine ministry, and he shares an extended papal ministry. And, you know, he's the, the there's this Mary and Martha, the contemplative and the, and the active. And there's been quite a, an interesting reaction in the church to that. Uh, I noticed yesterday a rather conservative commentator saying that this is not a possibility to to have these things. There's been Cardinal Seurat speaking in the last two weeks or so, talking about liturgy, talking about how we can put God back at the center and saying, uh, you know, the way that we do this is by having everybody face east, that he thinks the liturgical position should be for everybody to face east. And he's also been fighting with the French bishops because they have... uh, looked at the French translation of the Mass. So they a number of years ago, they translated the English, so the translation we're currently using, and then they tried with the Germans, and the Germans said, no, we're not interested. And now they've been talking to the French, and they're really trying to get this done, and the French seem to be kicking back and saying, we don't like the translation that you are forcing us to have, which is directly from Latin. So uh, th- those have been very interesting. And Pope Francis continues to meet every day with so many different people and to say so many uh, different things. I mean, it's fascinating, this huge amount of people that he meets with, whether it's presidents or whether it's uh, sort of Hollywood stars or whether it's leaders of big um, organizations involved in migration or whatever. He just seems every day to be packing a timetable full, uh, talking to all these people, dialoguing with people in so many different places and spaces. And it's fantastic to see how he has become a pope that is really trying to create a space for dialogue. He's critiqued for that. I mean, a number of people think, well, why is he wasting his time, for example, going to celebrations uh, of the of the Reformation later on this year. But I think the Pope sees this as a very important place to say, well, you know, these were the divisions that happened amongst us. We've got to find ways now of, of healing those divisions and moving forward together, not just simply so we can, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of be nice to each other because our world requires at the moment uh, this sort of solidarity. And then uh, big breaking news, of, and I'm sure Radio Veritas has spoken about it a lot, is the most appropriate that was sent out by Pope Francis uh, earlier on. Uh, it was on Saturday the, that he released it, saying that now bishops uh, can be um, basically removed if they've been found, uh, you know, doing anything negligent. And I, this is on the on the hot heels of, of the child abuse stuff. And many people have been saying it's about time that this happened, that, you know, the, the Pope uh, had a very strong stand uh, with bishops who have committed or omitted uh, negligent acts in terms of looking after diocese. And I was reading that document. It's not just about, uh, you know, abuse, but it's also about financial uh, um, irregularities and, and, and things like that. So, uh, and he also created, there's so many things in the last week, the Pope has also created this new pontifical council for the family where he's put a number of different bodies together. And I think uh, it's part of the reform process of the Vatican. But I also think it's the Pope's pastoral agenda. I mean, the Pope is very strong on the question of the church and family. And I think this is his way of trying to keep a moris latitia uh, on our um, uh, sort of uh, um, um, you know, radar and find practical ways of living a moris latitia, that it's not just simply us uh, having another document but what is the practical ways that we can put uh, this document into into practice so there are many many different things that we can we can talk about there um 
you know, and uh, and uh, it just shows that the church in some ways is really alive. Uh, one thing that strikes me when we talk about the Pope so often is how these days we're seeing so much more coming out of the Vatican every day. You know, we'd get sort of papal announcements and we'd know what the Pope was doing from day to day on an, on an email or whatever. But it seems that so many news networks every day are watching and listening to see what Pope Francis has done and what Pope Francis uh, has said. There's a representative of JRS uh, in Rome at the moment here from South Africa who actually works for Radio Veritas, Gershwell Brooks. He's there at a Jesuit refugee service meeting, and he went to the audience yesterday, the Pope's uh, Wednesday audience, and he said, uh, he wrote a little message to me, and he said, Father, I'm blown away about how many people were present. I'm blown away. They shut down half of the Vatican or half of Rome on the days of the audience. Just shows how important uh, the Pope is becoming uh, for, you know, capturing the imaginations of people in the world. I think that's right. I mean, I think there's a, a very real sense that, po- that Pope Francis speaks beyond the Catholic boundary, if you like. He seems to be speaking to the world. And I'm, I'm so struck by the things he says and the way he shapes what he says, even, even if you look at documents that are, are directed towards Catholics in particular, there's a real sense in which those documents can be used by or read by people who are not Catholic and they find them interesting, fruitful, challenging. They're not exclusive, but they're very inclusive. And even if I think about like his prayer intentions, the way they're presented, there's, a, there's very much the sense of a Pope who sees his role as speaking to the world rather than speaking just to Catholicism and to Catholics. For sure. And I, th- I, th- I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think, and I think that's why in the imaginations of so many leaders in the world, this man is becoming the leader. And it was fascinating to see how when he received that Charlemagne Prize uh, last month, how European leaders related to the Pope and said, basically, we need someone who's going to keep us on track. We need a leader that's going to give us an example. So that whole question of having a leader of integrity and seeing the religious role as being not so much one about orthodoxy and doctrine, but about modeling what it is to lead, modeling a lifestyle of integrity, a lifestyle of service. That seems to me what he's offering to the world at the moment in a big way. Very much so. And I think, I think that's important. You make a distinction there, which I think we need to carefully make, because sometimes Pope Francis is accused of maybe playing it light on doctrine or on law. And I don't think that's true. But he's, he's, he, he certainly sees the need within the framework of that to create dialogue. Dialogue is the thing that leads people to a better understanding of doctrine and law. Telling people you ought to do X, Y, and Z, and that's the end of the story, and not engaging them in a dialogue I, I, is not a successful formula, and I think we've seen that. And so I think the way that he's trying to do this now is, is a different way where he's not trying to say one thing is less important than another – but basically saying, look, you know, if we are going to move people into a space where, uh, you know, uh, where we can live lives with integrity, it's important first that we talk about these things before simply just laying down the law. That sounds absolutely right. What I was thinking about as you were running through that whole list of things that are coming up is dialogue is important. There's also this constant sense that he, he's into reform. He's into making people accountable. And so I'm, I'm very intrigued as to who he's going to select as cardinals and what that means that he didn't do that this year but that he's doing it next year. What, what are the implications of that? And, and what are the implications of, for you, do you think, of what he's doing with bishops and 
making it much more important that bishops be accountable for what they do and significantly for what they don't do. I think we need to take a step back. I mean, this is not the agenda of Francis. Before he was elected, in those days before the conclave in 2013, one of the things the cardinals identified was the need for reform in the church. The reform of the Vatican Curia was, was, for example, at the, at the top of, of, of their list. And so even this meeting that the Pope has just concluded with these nine cardinals yesterday, I mean, a large part of the consultations are in that meeting were all about reform, reform regarding the Secretariat of State, reform regarding congregations for Catholic education, reform in terms of the way we look at Oriental churches, the clergy and bishops, as well as the pontifical councils for culture, for Christian unity, and for interreligious uh, uh, dialogue. And, and And reform for Francis is, I think, a number of things. I think, first of all, it is, you know, accountability is is a big word there. But I think for Francis, it's streamlining. It's also harmonizing. It's also trying to make things more efficient so that we don't get stuck in bureaucratic uh, uh, kind of ways of operating which Rome has tended to be in the last 30-40 years and saying well okay all these things are here but they are simply vehicles to get things happening you know for example the council for for interreligious dialogue is a vehicle to get people across the board talking to each other so you know in the current situation with Islam in the world how can this council really bring about a meaningful dialogue and so you know it's it's getting rid of uh, maybe problems like we saw in the Vatican Bank the corruption in the Vatican Bank we talk about reform and uh, we talk about uh, trying to uh, make sure that uh, you know uh, things are streamlined there but it's also about harmonizing and saying well okay how does the secretariat for the economy work for the good of the church how does it become a vehicle to ensure that good things are done and there are resources for good things? Well, that sounds absolutely brilliant, the sense of reform. And, and I also get your point that you're saying this isn't just Francis. This is coming out of the conclave that elected him. This is a sense that the cardinals had, that the church needs reform and that the church needs to engage adequately, really, with the modern world. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. I, I do think, and if I can say it, I mean, I do think that some people, uh, for them, the reform has gone a little bit further than what they thought it might go. I think that uh, people thought, well, you know, he's going to fix up all, all the stuff in these offices. But his reform has also been a reform which has maybe forced people to think about their lifestyles. And so it wasn't just a case of fixing up institutions, but challenging individuals. And I think that's there are clergy, there are bishops who at times are very uncomfortable with some of the things the Pope is doing uh, as part of his reform, gen- reform uh, agenda because he's challenging lifestyles. He's challenging the way that we think about things and the way that we do things and even the way that we live. And so uh, maybe for those who thought reform would just be kind of cleaning up Vatican offices and making sure that, you know, put fresh paint on the walls, it's gone a lot further than that. That sounds right. We're going to take a break for some ads and some music now, and then we will be back with you shortly. Awake from your slumber Arise from your sleep A new day is dawning For all those who weep 
The people in darkness have seen a great light. The Lord of our longing has conquered the night. Let us build a city of Sons of the morning, we are daughters of day. The one who has loved us has brightened our way. Mahoney, and I'm inviting you to join me every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock for one hour as together we experience what it means to be living the scriptures. Look forward to having you join me. God bless you. The Holy Mass is the pinnacle of Catholic worship. We invite you to join us every day at noon for Holy Hour when we will place your intentions sent by phone, email or SMS on the altar during the live celebration of the Eucharist. Holy Hour, your peaceful oasis of prayer in the midst of the daily rush. Hi, this is Robiwa. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas. The good news for a change. 
You're on Radio Veritas, listening to the Jesuit Institute Hour with me, Francis Correa. And this morning I'm talking to Father Russell Pollitt, who is the director of the Jesuit Institute. And we're talking at the moment about the church and the world. And we've been particularly talking about Pope Francis and what he's doing. I'm just looking at the SMS line and we have a lovely comment in from Cheryl, who thanks us for our pleasing conversation and hopes that Radio Veritas will record rebroadcast this later today, possibly in the evening when people who are working can listen. It will also be available on the Jesuit Institute website as a podcast and you can download it. And that website is www.jesuitinstitute.org.za. So if you want to recommend the program to a friend, feel free to do that. If you want to phone in, our studio line is 011-452-7115. I'm just going to give you that number again. It's 011-452-7115. And the SMS line, if you want to send through SMSs, 41809-41809. We look forward to hearing from you. So, Russell... One of the things you were talking about is this idea of there being two popes. And, of course, for most of us who are Catholic, we know there are two popes. There's Pope Benedict. He hasn't died yet. He's in retirement. And um, Pope Francis, who's active and doing all sorts of exciting things. And there's the sense that the spokesperson for, for Pope Benedict said something that certainly appealed to the sensibilities of some Catholics. He spoke of Pope Benedict as being in a kind of a contemplative pope, if you liked, and Pope Francis being the active Pope. And then there was some reaction in the church to that. So could you explain a bit about what's going on and why this might be more prob- problematic than it seems on the surface? Yes, I mean, Archbishop Ganswein, he's not just a, a spokesperson for Benedict. He's prefect of the papal household. He gave a talk at the Gregorian University in Rome, which is the big Jesuit university there. And he spoke about how uh, Benedict the Sixteenth is living in an expanded nature of the Petrine ministry, and he was saying that he's changed the papacy forever. He's revolutionized the papacy is actually the words he used. And what he said was um, that uh, there's an active member and there's a contemplative member, the active member, of course, being Francis and the contemplative member being Benedict himself. And he went on to say that's why Benedict still wears a white cassock and that's why Benedict lives at the Vatican because, you know, he's sharing in this expanded uh, Petrine ministry. This is a very odd theology to come from from someone like Ganswein, who is certainly an educated theologian, for him to say that. And it is problematic. I mean, it is it is hugely problematic. Benedict de facto, in uh, 2013, abdicated, stepped down, resigned from the chair of Peter. There can never be two popes. There's one pope. He can be the Bishop Emeritus of Rome. And so even that title that Benedict chose, Pope Emeritus, is kind of theologically not, uh, I would suspect, where most theologians were, one, one, that most theologians would agree with. I mean, Benedict has resigned. He is the Bishop Emeritus. What was very interesting was that uh, there was reaction to this. Of course, many people saying, oh, yes, they they always knew this and somehow that uh, Benedict still has power in the church. But more uh, kind of conservative theologians even have come out to say, well, this is an impossibility. We can't have uh, a sort of uh, two popes uh, in any way, shape or form. We, we can't do this. And one fairly conservative theologian writing in First Things, George Virgil, he said, uh, you know, that he thinks that Benedict made a big mistake by even choosing the 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 title emeritus. Uh, he should have gone back to being called uh, Bishop Joseph or, you know, Bishop Emeritus Joseph or, or, or something like that. He should not have worn white, etc., etc. So I think we must be very careful that we that we kind of confuse these things. I mean, Benedict is not 
uh, a pope in any in any way. I mean, Benedict has stepped down. He's retired. He happens to live at the Vatican. He happens to still wear white. And Ganswein, you know, one wonders why he, he made these comments. I mean, people have been surmising all sorts of things about that. It was quite surprising that he, he came out with that. Um, and it does cause confusion for many Catholics, I think. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, we can, we, we need to be very clear on these things. We're living in a time where it's an interesting thing that happened that a Pope decided to step down. But I think we have to be very, very careful that we, we start to get these things mixed up. I mean, pa- Francis is the Pope and Benedict is the Bishop Emeritus, uh, uh, of Rome who people still call, call Pope because obviously that's how they knew him. So, uh, it was rather interesting. Um, and, uh, I think it's going to continue to be a conversation because I notice a number of mainline theologians are still talking about this. I mean, it hasn't gone away. And so if you were to think about what, what some of those problems are that, that you allude to, I mean, I was, I was, when I was looking at it, I was just thinking about the very stern letter that Catherine of Siena wrote when there were two popes in her time, uh, one of whom she thought was uh, not rightfully pope and one of whom she thought was, uh, that, that that was a real controversy of the church in the Middle Ages and that there can be real problems if you have leaders who are both speaking and pulling the church in different directions and essentially it's divisive. Uh, so that would be an obvious thing to be worried about. But but are there any other concerns that would be raised by by this idea of two popes as opposed to the sense of there being a single voice of authority holding the church together well if we you know if we talk about peter and and being you know in the line of peter if the if the pope is a successor of peter i mean you know we didn't have a simon and we didn't have a peter we have one person you yeah. know it's it's impossible as you point to to split that because when we start to split that, what, what, what stops us from having three popes? You know, what, what stops us from having a pope for every continent type of thing? I mean, it becomes absurd when one thinks we can split something like that. I mean, I think, I think theologically. I think it does point to division. And the one thing that interests me in this whole thing is how Benedict himself has been very silent. I mean, in one way, Benedict has said nothing. Benedict has been very good at not uh, being out in the public domain, saying things about, uh, you know, the church, uh, the papacy, etc. He quite clearly abdicated. And I think that's the word that he used himself in the, in the official translation, that I am going to abdicate the throne of Peter or the chair of Peter. Um, and he's been very good at at, at making sure that he does remain in the background. It's some of the people around him that seem to be wanting to push him and push an agenda where somehow Benedict has still got influence. But certainly from him, from what I've uh, uh, noticed, there, there's nothing forthcoming. I mean, my suspicion is, and and I, I, I don't think it's a secret, is that Benedict and Francis have had a number of conversations about things. And, and no doubt, uh, you know, some of the things that, uh, that Francis has uh, wor- worried or wondered about, he's, he's asked Benedict about. I mean, you know, uh, Benedict lived in a very tumultuous time with, uh, with, uh, in the church with, you know, these massive uh, child abuse uh, issues that arose, the question of the corruption in the Vatican Bank, the Vati Leaks saga, etc., etc., so Francis would have said to him, you know, what do you think about this or what did you do there? So in that sense, a kind of uh, a sounding board. But Benedict having any power in the church, I think one would be very mistaken to think that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds very clear. Let's talk about something else now, Russell. I'm, I'm kind of struck by, um, by this whole sense of, of Pope Francis dialogue, reformation, his engagement with people. Um, just when you were talking earlier about the huge numbers of people who, who speak to him 
on a daily basis. And his sense of being out there in the world, his sense of, of reaching out to people. Um, and I'm just struck, you know, we know that he's a Jesuit. You were talking earlier this morning about that sense of dialogue and openness. And I was wondering to what extent you think that his Jesuit formation is responsible for some of how he thinks about the world and how he engages with the world. Francis's Jesuit formation would be very much... Uh, founded in, grounded in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Um, and, and in many ways, if one looks at Francis, he is the living example of someone who is living out those, those spiritual exercises. And for, for Ignatius, one of the key things in the exercises is the question of finding God in all things. And I think when we talk about Francis and dialogue is, you know, we tend to think that God can be in some places or with some people and not with others. And this is not the worldview uh, of Ignatius, that even sometimes in the most tragic or difficult of circumstances, the question that Ignatius would ask is, you know, where was God in that? Or what, somehow, how was God uh, working in that situation? Uh, it may not always be clear to us, but God is, is always at work. And so I think for, for Francis, in these spaces of Oh, if we're going to find God in all things, that's a commonality. Uh, and therefore, in the spaces that he's creating for dialogue, I think, you know, based in that, he's, he's saying there must be some commonalities amongst us. And he's had success in a number of areas with this. You know, if one thinks, for example, about the huge division between Cuba and the United States of America mm. and how, you know, quite soon into the papacy, you know, that was one of the things and coming from that part of the world. I mean, I think he, he had a he had a very um, um, acute understanding of of uh, of of what was going on there. But, you know, through the, the kind of secretary of state, through the diplomatic machine of the Vatican, he's managed to bring, you know, the U.S., and the and, and and Cuba to talk to each other. I know, for example, that he has got people working with China, talking to China, trying to open spaces. Earlier this year, in January, he did an interview just before Chinese New Year, I think, on China. And some people were angry with him that he wasn't more hardline. But what Francis was trying to do is open up a space there. Not saying he agrees with everything that the Chinese do, but he, what the Chinese government does, not the Chinese people, the Chinese government. But he was saying, let's find a space where we can talk to each other. I think his whole thing of family life in the church and, and saying, well, you know, we know that there's a huge gap between the lived experience of families and the teaching of the church, people's lived experience of relationships. Uh, you know, we know there's a gap. We know that there's discrepancies. But how is it that we can talk about these things, dialogue about these things to come to a better understanding? And I think Francis really believes that dialogue leads to conversion. And I think Ignatius did that in the spiritual exercise. It's in our dialogue with, uh, you know, with God. It's in our dialogue with Jesus that conversion takes place and helps us to make a choice about the way we're going to live our lives or the things that we're going to engage with. And Francis, I think, works very, very uh, classically out of that model. And so, you know, people get nervous. Why is the Pope talking to the Chinese? We know they've got a one-child policy or we know that it's a dictatorship. Well, it's no use condemning the Chinese, I think Pope Francis would say. That doesn't help anything. That's not going to build any uh, bridges. That's just simply going to make the wall higher. Whereas when we talk to people, we listen to their experience, we share our experience, we share our views, that starts to bring about a change in mindset and maybe even in vision. And therefore we can move together or we can move forward, uh, still on a rocky road, but with some sense that there's a togetherness now that there wasn't before.
That's very helpful, Russell. It just reminds me of something that I know Ignatius talks about, the sense of meeting the other where they are and really going in by their door. That's that sense of, of encountering other people, not where we need them to be, but where they already are. And that's classic. That's how God works. That's not how even Ignatius works. Ignatius just highlights that for us. Look through the scriptures. Look at how God encounters so many people. He encounters Moses where he is. He encounters Elijah where he is. I mean, Moses is a murderer on the run, and he encounters God, and there's a dialogue, and through that dialogue, what happens? Moses does a U-turn, goes back, and leads the people of God uh, you know, out of, out of slavery. Just look at Jesus. Look how he encounters those disciples where they are, fishing or tax collecting or whatever it is and says you know talk about these things and and what do you think and oh come follow me and and that's what brings about a change and so i i i think that's absolutely right ignatius helps us to understand that but that's the way that god works you see god creates encounters and dialogues in places that we think sometimes are impossible on that note we're going to take another ad break and listen to a little bit more music
Saints of the 20th century, Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta, will be canonized on the 4th of September this year by Pope Francis in Rome. And you could be there. Stand a chance to win this once-in-a-lifetime experience to accompany me, Father Emil, to her canonization in the Radio Veritas Rome and Assisi draw of 2016. The prize this year is valued at nearly 80,000 rand and includes an eight-day pilgrimage to Rome and Assisi from the 2nd to the 11th of September for two people. The prize covers flights, transfers, accommodation, breakfast, dinners and more. Tickets for the draw cost a mere 300 rand and only 2,000 are available, so don't miss out. SMS Rome and your name now to 41809. That's Rome and your name to 41809. And we'll call you back with our banking details. And remember, all the proceeds go to Radio Veritas. SMSs cost one rand fifty and do not constitute an entry. Welcome back to the Jesuit Institute Hour on Radio Veritas. I'm Francis Correa, and I've been talking to Father Russell Pollitt of the Jesuit Institute. And we've just been talking about Pope Francis, and we've been talking about how he is in the world, and a little bit about what the work of the Institute is. And as we were talking, the phrase that kept ringing through my ears was this phrase from Ignatian Spirituality of finding God in all things. And the the awareness that Ignatius had, his kind of genius, that... God is God is present everywhere that Russell was talking about a bit earlier. And I was just thinking as a way of closing down today, I wanted to flesh that idea out a little bit with Russell, just his sense of what it means that God is in all things and how we experience God in all things. And then we're going to teach you or give you, if you like, an experience of praying one of the prayers of St. Ignatius that that kind of brings that to our awareness, the examen. God in all things. I think that basically there's not a space or a place 
in the universe where we won't uh, find God. And I think that sometimes we tend to think that God is somewhere out there. And yet Ignatius teaches us to look for God, first of all, beginning within us. And so wherever we are there, therefore God is present. And in the events that take place in daily life, I mean, sometimes those events are negative. And yet we know sometimes how out of tragedy or difficulty somehow we, we are able to at times see that, that beam of light. And that means that God is present in that, in that place. And so even if one looks at you know, poverty and experience of poverty of many people in this country, they, uh, they, if you go and talk to those people and you say, where's God? Many of them will be able to say to you, well, you know, I've experienced God here or there. And, and sometimes it's quite amazing. And so it's that tuning ourselves in like to a radio station. God is there, but sometimes we don't uh, get the wave right. And therefore we are sometimes unable to hear and to see how God is present. Thanks, Russell. So, I just want to thank Russell very much for being on the show today. And that sense of tuning in as our way as we leave you this morning, we invite you just for a moment to tune into your awareness of God with you. What I'd like you to do is, listening to the music and listening to my voice as we talk, I'd like you just to reflect on this morning. Whatever you've been doing this morning from the time you woke up until now, I'd like you just to get a sense of how God has been present to you this morning. And perhaps a way of entering into this to begin with is just to think about for a moment, for what things this morning am I most grateful? Was there a moment this morning where I felt an increase in faith, in hope, in love, in patience or fortitude, in compassion, in generosity? So I'd invite you just to listen gently and see, is there a moment that seems to speak to me of an awareness of God active in me this morning? So on that awareness of God, we would invite you to join us next week to tune in again and to see perhaps at some more depth how God is active in our world and with us. Thank you and God bless.